Good evening, everybody. Welcome back to the Silmarillion Film Project. This is Season 6, Session Number 27, and tonight we're going to be talking about Episode 11. Uh, This is the antepenultimate episode of the sixth season, Uh, so we are beginning to get into the... the, We've just escaped... Uh, from Angband at the end of the last episode, and this episode is really sort of an, uh, uh, an interim episode. Um, but I have to tell you, although like this is not an episode that contains, well, I was about to say it doesn't contain big events, except like you know the wedding of Baron and Luthien, which is arguably a big deal. Um, but um, uh, but besides that, um, you know, it's I mean, it's not you know we had the you know. The theft of the Silmaril last time, you know, we're going to get the um, the 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 hunt for the wolf and the death of Baron next time and the death of Huan. We're going to get the, um, you know, the the appearance before Mandos and the episode after this. We got all, the, you know, they got these four episodes, right, with all these like big high drama, high profile events. And this one is the like. You know, healing Baron so he doesn't die of his wound and like bunches of like family reunions, you know, where, like, people just, like, talk <laughs> to each other and stuff. Um, so, uh, anyway, you know, like, it's, it's as I say, it's kind of a, it's kind of a, you know, an interim uh, session. But I have to tell you, here's why I'm really excited about this episode. Um, here's what I love about th- this episode demonstrates everything that is fun about doing this project. Like seriously, everything that is fun about doing this project. Because first of all, and I don't just mean in the, in the sense like it's true, like it's fun to kind of fill in some of these gaps, right? You know, we don't really get um, much of anything described in the story between, you know, them being carried off by the Eagles and then them showing up before Thingol, basically, right? That's kind of the sequence in the text. Um, but like other stuff should have happened there. I mean, like they, it's not... Anyway, filling in holes is fun. But the great thing is the way in which the length and detail of this project enables, like, there is so much payoff in this episode. It just made me really, really happy. Right. We get to, like, almost every time. So about, like, um, I don't know, maybe 75, 80% of the fun payoff in this episode is... Uh, paying off like all the work that we've done in previous seasons where these characters come back and there's this like rich history of story and, and association with them that we can just like dip into and, and bring these stories together. Of course, the story of Andreth and Ignor, for instance, is never actually connected with the story of Baron and Luthien, right? So to have this, this like mind blowing, like, episode of coolness where like Andreth herself meets Baron and Luthien. Uh, I mean, what a phenomenal, like, you know, sort of follow up from the, from having done the Athrobeth episodes and everything to actually, to have Andreth live to see this. And then, and, and, and then also to like be planting the seeds for payoff yet to come. Right. Uh, like for instance, the fact that uh, the, the interactions with Rian, and the way that we are setting up, um, I mean, like it's, you know, if you, you know, if you know the Silmarillion text, you can see how we are like, we are setting up the death scene of Rian, right? You know, laying the foundations for, uh, for what's going to happen there. Um, you know, later, pro- pro- next season, 
maybe next season, maybe the season. I'm not sure exactly. Probably in next season. Um, I'm still not sure where next season is going to end exactly. But next season ends with the near knife. Right. Hey, hey, which is spoiler alert. (laughs) The Twitch chat wants us to remember. Okay. Right. Yeah. Right. Spoiler alert. Uh, That's right. Next season is the who are season. Right. And so it ends with those characters doing their thing. Right. I, I will. I was, yeah. I'll. I'll. I'll say this. I won't spoil um, whether the the battle of unnumbered tears ends happily or not. <laughs> I'll just. I'll just leave that a mystery. Right. Um, but, but anyway. So the question is. The question is going to be because the battle is going to go on over multiple episodes. It's got to. It's the yeah. Near North yeah. Arnoldian, right? But which episode is going to be named Near North Arnoldian? Yeah. Is the question. Yeah. Yeah, are we gonna have like a, uh, a like a tier counter right until it like gets up above a certain threshold and then? But no, anyway, yeah. So right, but my only question was, um, is Rian gonna die at the end of episode, season seven or the beginning of episode, of season eight? But anyway, what it's anyway. Point point is <laughs> that um, again, like whether we're uh, bringing in characters, it's, it's just it's so much fun to go to the only thing that's more fun than getting to visit sort of parts of Tolkien's world and develop characters and places that just don't feature centrally in the story, but we've you know gotten a chance to, to kind of live there and, uh, and, and, and develop those characters. Um, the only thing more fun than doing that is going back and visiting <laughs> right when, when you can just do that. Um, so I, I find the, the this, this story, this, uh, this episode, just like rewarding on every front. Uh, it is, uh, uh, it is so cool. But anyway, let's, let's actually move towards it here. Uh, quick announcements. We've got, um, First of all, a bunch of moots upcoming. Uh, text moot coming up very soon. Indeed, the day after tomorrow uh, is text moot. I'll be uh, flying down to San Antonio tomorrow. So looking forward to see folks, seeing folks at text moot. Uh, you can still, if you're in or near San Antonio, you can still join us. Uh, or you can join us online through our hybrid interface. Uh, we're going gonna, gonna to be in Toronto on May 20th. Uh, and then we've got Cascade Moot, Middle Moot, and New England Moot coming up in the fall. My, our first trip to the Pacific Northwest, really, uh, uh, really fun. Look, really looking forward to that uh, there. We've been talking about some other... I think we're going to get Mountain Moot back again this fall, too, uh, back in Denver. So um, uh, be able to hang out with uh, uh, with Tony again. Tony's, uh, uh, Tony's working on that. Um, anyway... Uh, uh, so look forward to a moot near you. We've been talking about another Canadian site for next year, which will be really fun. And then, of course, Myth Moot down in Leesburg, Virginia, June 22nd to 25th is coming up soon. Uh, and uh, that is the big event of the year. Uh, really excited to get down uh, to National Conference Center and seeing folks again down there. Um, a little film film business going on here. Uh, the casting nominations are still open, so we're hoping to do the casting episode soon. So we're going to be opening voting soon, not right away. We still need some more nominations. So um, go to the message board and check out the list of roles that are available and make some nominations. Uh, encourage you strongly to do that, uh, and we will uh, be talking about casting and the, and uh, discussing the 
elections and things uh, when that has uh, come through. But uh, last call for nominations here. Uh, so I hope folks will uh, will check that out. We're still we're still casting Baron. It's a big deal, right? So we're uh, uh, you know this is a this is this is a, there aren't. There aren't too many huge roles, but there are a couple big ones, right? We're casting Huan's voice actor. We're casting Baron. It's a big deal. All right. So uh, the map now with highlighting. So we've got Amon Obel, the Pass of Adach, and Menegroth here. Um, as we're going to be over in Brethil for a bunch of the time. Uh, and then uh, uh, in Menegroth a bunch of the time here, too. It's all about the family reunions this episode. Um, so uh, we've got uh, the the primary story is Baron and Luthien. Um, so the quest is sort of over, <laughs> mostly over, right? Anyway, they've escaped from Angband, but Baron is near to death uh, from the bite of Karkaroth, and uh, so we've got to heal Baron, and then uh, then they got to they they got to figure out what to do and head back to. Doriath, um, they go to Brethil and meet the folks there. And again, that's where so many of the reunions that I am excited about uh, are happening there. Um, and then the C plot is Galadriel returning to Doriath. Um, Galadriel's last brother is dead and she's not happy about it. So um, we've got some. Uh, uh, some 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 strong scenes there between Galadriel and Thingol uh, in uh, in the in the sea plot there, so that's what we're looking at. And let's uh, let's go ahead and start this uh, this time. I do want to start with the a plot. I, I went backwards last time, but I do want to start with the a plot today. Um, so this is this element is I think. Is it fair to say? I think this is the biggest addition to the storyline that we've made. Like that's as far as like elements that were just like where we're just like inventing a whole chapter, essentially, that really isn't in the text. This seems to me like one of the largest kind of interventions that we've had in the story. Cause, and th- there is a little like hiatus. There is a little sort of gap in the story there. Mm. Um, not not saying not not saying it's not justified, but but it, but th- that that is to me one of the most interesting things about this section is that really um, this whole interlude like of them visiting Brethel is not at all in the text. Correct. Um, the text says that Baron never spoke with another mortal after he returns from the dead, but throughout the story of the quest, he never speaks to another mortal after he lives Dorthonian with his father's death. Right. So once he meets Luthien, he's only interacting with elves. So we've introduced this interlude to give him a chance to interact with mortals post-meeting Luthien, but pre-death. Pre-death, right, right. So we're holding to the he never speaks to a mortal again after he returns from the dead, um, but actually, in a sense, giving that greater weight by, you know, sort of establishing and reestablishing those connections there. Yes. And one of the main things you wanted this episode to do was to show the reconciliation between Luthien and Thingol. Mm-hmm. And part of what he had done was ban mortals from Doriath. And so we wanted to show what his reconciliation would look like in accepting not just Baron, but his whole family. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's, yeah. that's part of why we had to meet the family now 
so that we right. could have that reconciliation by the end. Right. Because, yes, it's not, it isn't just about, um, bear, I mean, and of course, this is something that's going to bear fruit, that bears fruit in the text afterwards with his welcome of Turin, right? Correct. Um, that we are told that Thingol's heart has changed towards mortals. So it's, it's a thing we know happens, but it kind of happens off stage in the text, right? Um, so I do think it's, it is interesting to kind of take that element, which you know, we're told at the beginning that he doesn't want mortals in there, right? So, I mean, we, Tolkien provides that whole frame. Thingol is anti-mortal, then Baron comes and make it wor- makes it worse, and then, uh, you know, he uh, Thingol has a change of heart uh, by the end of Baron's career, and now he's, like, pro-human uh, Thingol is, you know, by the time we get to Turin. So, um, that is a legitimate narrative arc that Tolkien provides, but he only provides it in these tiny little references here and there. So um, it does make sense to me to kind of, uh, uh, y- you know, sit there a little bit longer. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, converting something from a narrative where the narrator can tell you after the fact what happened or what people were right. thinking is like, we have to actually have scenarios and scenes play out <laughs> where those things happen. <laughs> right. 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 And, you know, yeah. another thing that I'm, a big fan of in general here. Just making sure that we are taking the time, you know, that like our viewers would take the time to understand the significance of the Baron and Luthien story, right? It's a big deal, but you know, there are ways in which if you, if Tolkien didn't tell you so, Right. That is like if it weren't for the fact that everybody keeps referring back to the Baron and Luthien story, if you just read the Baron and Luthien story by itself, you might and you might not realize you were reading like the most important momentous story in the whole mythology. Right. I mean, it's I'm not saying there's nothing there that gives you uh, a hint about that. But the real think about the significance of the Lord of the Rings characters contemplations back over the Baron and Luthien story and how that informs our own, you know, reading yeah. of that, our own, uh, our own understanding of that, our own, our own reflections on it. Um, uh, the, I mean, obviously this, the, the action, you know, the, the reclaiming of the Silmaril, uh, you know, the going into Angband, I mean, that would have remained a great and heroic action um, no matter what. But but there's a bunch of standalone great heroic actions like that. Fingon's rescue of Mithros is a great heroic action. Yeah. Not wholly dissimilar from that, right? And what Luthien and Baird is a bigger deal than that. But still, it seems like it's, you know, it's in the ballpark anyway, right? But there's Certainly. a significance to it. There's a, there's a much greater weight to it. And I, I like leaning into that, yeah. especially with the Athrobeth we just did in the previous yeah. season and really kind of showing how making it clear why it's, this is not just a story because like the characters, you know, this is not just an important story because the characters are more awesome or because the things that are accomplished here are greater and more difficult in, than, you know, in anything. fact, Baron is significantly less awesome than a lot of the people that we've been following up until this point. Yes. Yes. And, and I think that really, this vindicates the concept of the show, the imaginary show that we've been creating, right? Because like, you'll hear people say, well, you couldn't make the Cimmerillion into a 
film, but you could make individual films about the story. So you could do like the Baron and Luthien film. And sure, you yeah. could do that. But it would not have nearly like it. You wouldn't get the significance of the story um because like and maybe you could get like you know some awesome narrator come in and uh and tell the audience about you know long ago before men awoke in the you know then the the crafting of the simarils and morgoth took them and put them in his crown and oh but it meant no human and then the huge hit you over the head foreshadowing of, and no human has ever been married to an elf and blah 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 right you could do all that yeah but a again your the narration is hitting the audience on the head with the very thing that we're going to talk about in the story and b there's no there's no comparison mm-hmm. between the weight that as you say it that is conveyed by that versus conveyed by four 13 hour seasons of television not including what we have up until this point right like the audience has now been with us for longer than the rings of power is slated to be right right yep right <laughs> Yeah, by this point that we're at right now, so the the weight the the power of this story really gets to to mean something. Yeah, what is it? Sixty five episodes prior to the beginning of season six, right? So so yeah, we're yeah. we're we're yeah. yeah. It's a it's a it's a lot of time, um, and right. I agree exactly. I mean, I think and so we're now at seventy six hours. Yeah. Yeah, right. Exactly. By the time we get to here. Absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that because um, you're right. I, the Baron and Luthien story is, I mean, I, I've heard people say that, too. Right. Like Baron and Luthien would make a great standalone film. And I'm like, it kind of would and it kind of wouldn't. I, I still think like Turin it would, would be make a, a good sure, standalone sure, film. Horrible, sure. But uh, it would, sure. It would be a, it would, it, I can see that it would be a great movie, but it would be a great movie about this couple and the awesome thing they do together. It yeah. wouldn't be about watch the love of these two people literally break the universe. Right. Right. Yep. Yeah. No, it would be very hard to convey the weight of that, you know, the weight that it has. Um, uh, it, it really, I do think almost, almost more than any other of the stories in the legendarium, it, it ha- it it draws its power from the larger yes. you know story yeah. it's embedded in because um, otherwise all you have is a nice fairy story with some mythological elements and it is right. that that's ex- of course it's that yeah and 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 the even the you know forbidden love angle of the story sounds like with out of context sounds like every other forbidden love story it might as right. well be the montagues and the capulets right exactly exactly um uh, so yeah there's no, a yeah, yeah there's ahead. a Pol- there's a polynesian one where the guy is told that you can only marry the daughter of the chieftain if you go and fetch the moon so he runs and fetches the moon by stealing it from somebody and bringing it back and i'm like yeah reading that scenario it's like okay gotta go still somewhere else from morgoth's crown sounds just like you have to go fetch the moon yeah right. yeah 
Yeah. It's the same story. <laughs> it's the same story. It is. Yeah. It is. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I don't know. It's, I think it's, um, uh, but yeah, this is why I, I so I, but this is just back to why I think this episode is awesome. Um, the kind of payoff that's involved and the reason why I'm so glad that we, that we're doing this episode this way. I mean, I, I really, really yeah. like this design. Um, because what we're doing here is like right before the wedding, we are making sure we are taking the time to say, let's all remember, let's all be conscious of what this means. This is a huge deal, much huger than again, a, a, a back to forbidden love, whatever the obstacle may be, whether it's cultural taboos like the Polynesian story that you're talking, you're talking about there, like that kind of thing, which and when, that's involved here, too. Right. Or whether it's just, you know, forbidden love like Romeo and Juliet, as I was just alluding to. Right. Still, the, ten- the, the tendency is merely to like if you do as a viewer get invested in this, you tend to be just invested in overcoming the obstacle. Right. The obstacle to the 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 love relationship is just the thing to be overcome. So, hey, yeah, great. Like the father is hostile. OK. Right. There are, you know, cultural taboos. One's an elf. One's a human. We can overcome that. Right. Yeah. Hooray. Look, they're overcoming that. Great. Um, you know, uh, enemies slain, uh, obstacle surmounted. Right. Now they live happily ever after or something. Right. Um, but this is not that story. Um, and to stop and think, and of course, and that's the interesting thing. Think of, think of the way that Aragorn with admitted bias talks about this story in the Fellowship of the Ring. Right. And the way, uh, the way Legolas comes back and talks about that story. Right. Yeah. Um, about and, uh, the way that both of them talk about the line of Luthien, um, yeah. and the significance of the line of Luthien, like, Something is happening here that, like, the overcoming, the thing, it's it's not just an obstacle to true love, right, that is being overcome. These two are just about to change the world, right? The the the, the question that the Athrobeth left, right, the question that was left hanging um, in season five was, is it is it possible to bridge that gap? Can the hands reach across... Uh, yeah. across the, 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 the chasm and clasp each other. And Baron and Luthien are here to say yes. And he, from here, like we're already in the middle of it, but really from here is where it gets real in talking about and what happens when that occurs, right? How does that, this is not just a like good on them for overcoming, you know, prejudice or whatever and, uh, you know, making their relationship work out, right? This is, and now the world is changed and how is it going to be changed? And yeah, getting the weight of that. So getting the weight of that, it is so worth it uh, taking some time. And for this reason, it does seem to me in the context of, of this, it is, um, I think it's such a wonderful idea to bring the mortals back. Like, let's go back among mortals first before we return to that. Because by doing that, we can really see and feel and taste what the consequences of this are, you know. Um, and, and of course, we know, Baron and Luthien don't necessarily, but we know that this is Baron saying goodbye. You know, he's... He is he is soon to die and then have interesting things happen to him after that. But um, but he's uh, the way in which 
this his like farewell to mortals here um to mortal society uh is he's going to return to fairy right he's going to go back to doriath which is like going back to the realm of fairy he's going to return to fairy and when he and he will never come back from that he will never return he is on a one way street and his mom can t- seems to sense that right i mean she can tell that that's what this means that that's what this is about and even andreth who has a better understanding of all of this than uh than anybody else here um even she doesn't fully understand what it's going to mean because she never i mean if you'd asked her i'm sure she'd say she would have liked to have a go at finding out what it meant but but that was one of the problems with her and ignor right as we were is that she she saw it as merely an, a barrier to love that could be, that could have been overcome right uh to some extent like that was that was part of the of the of the sort of drama not I'm I'm not thinking here of the Athrobeth conversation with Finrod specifically, but of her um romance with Ignor and Ignor walking away from it later on and her lack of understanding, like her just not being able to really fully comprehend why it was that Ignor walked away from that relationship. Um anyway, yeah, it's it is uh so rich to return to all these things and think through all these things. So, all right, but let's, let's talk more about this stuff. So we get ML deer, which again, so much payoff. I just like, um, ML deer is always one of those characters who has always been on my short list of characters that I wish I'd gotten to know better. Um, because you know, she gets like that one mention and the one mention is pretty cool. Like when she takes the refugees and she takes charge and she leads them off and, uh, and saves their lives. And I'm like, I want to, I want can I, can I get more of her story? Like I always felt that, uh, when reading the Silmarillion. So, um, it's fun to, I know that we don't, to some extent, we're still not really doing justice to Emildir's character. We're not really living. We're, we're, we're visiting her again, which is nice. We saw a little bit more of her before than we, uh, uh, you know, than we, then we get in the published Silmarillion for sure. Um, we're coming back to see her again, which is nice. But tell me about Emildir and what you guys were trying to do with her character when Baron's mom comes comes into this. Because, of course, that's a fascinating correspondence, right? You know, we've got, we've got the issues with Luthien's parents now being able to bring, you know, Baron's parents, or at least one of Baron's parents, into this situation is... Um, I think a really a really cool uh sort of framework for the the wedding episode. So tell me more about Emildir. Yeah, so there's a handful of female characters that exist in Brethel right now that we see throughout this episode. And one thing they all have in common is that they will lose their husband to these wars. Mm-hmm. And Emildir of course has already lost her husband in Dorthonian to the um fallout from the Dagor Bagalak. Yeah. Rian will lose her husband in the Nirnaith, as will Glorithel, the current Lady of Brethel. Right. Um, and then Andres lost Ignar as well, even I mean, not her husband, but her right. Right. person she cared about. 
Yes. Would have liked to have been out of those. (laughs) Wasn't her husband, but that wasn't her fault. So, yeah. Right. Exactly. Not (laughs) Not for lack of trying. Yeah. Not for lack of trying on her part. Um, So, we see all of these women interacting either with each other or with Baron and Luthien throughout the episode and getting little glimpses of how they feel about this. And this is the first time we've seen Emil Deere since the death of her husband. And Mm -hmm. technically, this is her getting news of the death of her husband. It's right. been a few years. She knows he's gone. Yeah. But Baron's the one who was there and saw it. And this is the first time Baron has reunited with his mother since that yeah. time. Yeah. So part of her reaction to Baron and Luthien is her own fairly fresh grief over the loss of her husband. Um, right. It's not, like I said, it's not news, but she's, just got confirmation for the first time so it's brought it all back up again and and so she's looking at this and trying to spare her son some of the grief that she thinks is coming his way really soon Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and you look at immortal marries an elf and you're like oh the elf is gonna have to deal with the grief because obviously the mortal's gonna die that's how mortals work right um but she's looking at it as my son will never be accepted by the elves. Right. He'll always be this stranger in whatever her family's society and culture is. He's never going to be good enough from anyone's point of view, possibly not his soon to be wife's like, sure. She thinks right. he's cool now when he's young <laughs> and healthy. Well, mostly healthy. Right. He's missing a hand now, but That's you know, I mean, right. You know, so she sees that they generally care about each other. She doesn't disapprove of the relationship, but she's just worried and concerned. And so we wanted to show a resistance to them that was going to feel very different from Thingol's. Mm-hmm. Thingol's mm-hmm. very much comes across as pride and possessiveness because yeah. it is. Yeah. You know, yeah. my daughter's too good for you. Go away. And this is this is a little bit more of a I've been hurt. I don't want to see him get hurt any worse than he has to be. Like, I see that no matter how this goes, he's going to get hurt now. Right. Right. But I'd like to like contain that in some way. And it's not going to be contained. Yeah. Yeah. And she, she eventually comes to accept that, that this is the path he's on and this is how it's going to be. And he's just going to have to face that fate. Um, So, so it's a, it's a more mellowed resistance like she doesn't hate Luthien. She doesn't think anything right. ill of Luthien. She thinks Luthien's wonderful. Right. Who doesn't? She just yeah. she just has these these concerns. And so that that's kind of the story we were trying to t- tell with MLD yeah. here. Yeah. Yeah. Another thing about it is like if to go back to the theoretical standalone movie, Baron Luthien, Baron right. is this person with nobody attached to him that comes out of the forest. Right. Because I can't, like, how do you tell the, like, even if you told the outlaws and Dorthonian story, they wouldn't be characters. They wouldn't matter, right? You wouldn't spend enough time with them because you want to get onto the story. And so for what we are doing here essentially reasserts the fact that Baron is a real person with people with prior attachments outside with attachments indeed outside of Luthien. 
Right. Like she is not the only person in his world, even yeah. now. Yeah. Right. And so there is a there is a cost even to his decision to stay with her. And yeah. that and he's not the only person paying that cost. That and yeah, and that last thing is completely um is easy utterly to overlook. Um yes. he is the story presents him as alone, right? I mean, after the, you know, the, the, the death of his father and the rest of the outlaws and he's, he's by himself, doesn't even have a dog in the text. Uh, so he's, he's alone in Dorthonian and then wanders, you know, ragged and alone into the, in other words, Baron is, he has, he has nothing and no one until he has Luthien. Right. And that's really the core yeah. of his story. Um, for the rest of the time. But yes, I agree. He does still have a living mom. Even in the text, his mom is still alive. Right. Right. Um, right. And we're not encouraged does... to no. remember her, but. No, we're yeah. not. Nor are we encouraged to ask the question, which is a question to be asked. Like, um, wait, aren't you, shouldn't you be the leader of your people now? Um, might it be something like, might somebody somewhere think it's actually your responsibility to go find the remnant of your people and like lead them or something? Right. Um, but it never, but no, <laughs> because Emildir's got it. <laughs> Emildir's got it. Yeah, it's fine. It, it's which, fine. which I think that the times that we call back to her help reaffirm that so that the audience is not invited to at any point ask, well, why isn't Baron going and leading his own people? Because they're fine. They have their own leader. He's not, his services are no longer required. Right. Yeah, no, exactly. But again, we don't ever see or really know that. I mean, all we get is that one picture of MLD or leading them to safety. Right. Um, But, um, but yeah, the the question is, I, I don't think the text ever even asks that question. Like, you know, why doesn't Baron go back to his people or something like that's it's it's really not uh, the text is not interested in that question as as, as the story is presented to us. Um, but but I still th- I think it's a perfectly fair question to ask uh, and a really interesting one. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I, I love the things you guys are emphasizing. I think that. Another here's here's another one of the things um, that I think is so easy to overlook and that this situation that you guys have uh, crafted here really helps to um, draw attention to it, to not just pass it over. And that is the whole mortal man marries not only an elf woman, but an elf princess and not just any elf princess, but, you know the alpha elf princess <laughs> in the history of the world, right? Um, you know, there's uh, men almost always marry up in Tolkien's world, often way up, uh, of course. And um, this is, uh, of course, one of the most famous and, and, and most significant examples of that. Um, but I think it's perfectly fair to consider when you're considering the human marries an elf, um, like 90% of the attention tends to be focused on, like, think about even in the Lord of the Rings movie, right? In the Lord of the Rings movie, we got so much more of Arwen than we get in the book, right? Uh, understandably. And much more of like Arwen and Elrond and the whole like, oh, are you going to marry a mortal? And what are the consequences? And that, all of that's perfectly appropriate. Like, it's, it's very right. Um, but notice not a single person ever really asks the other question. 
well, Aragorn, you're going to marry an elf. Like, are you sure that's going to be okay? Like, are you, you know, like it's, 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 it's like so many people assume that like, well, marrying an elf is obviously awesome, right? Like that's like yeah. winning the lottery. So you don't, you know, you, you don't, you don't ask questions about that. Like everyone's just high-fiving you, right? If, if, if you, if yeah. you're in that position, but it's not as simple as that. And so I think that again, really creating this situation where we're thinking that through and saying there are consequences on both sides. This does, um, uh, and and to, to to get that other view of things, um, you know that the, this this I, I the one thing the one thing that I I'm not saying I regret it in the sense that I think we should make it happen, but the the one thing which almost happens in this episode and like might be too much fun even to attempt would be to like have Emil Deer there at the wedding. Like, Thingol and Emil Deer on either side, like, you know, both looking askance at each other, you know, like, uh, I'm not sure what I'm getting for in-laws here. Um, you know, like, there are two different perspectives. In some ways, of course, it's, uh, uh, it's, it, it, it's, it, it's reminding me briefly of the Gil Ryan Elrond thing we were doing way back in season one. But, uh, anyway... Uh, it's, I, I guess I'm not suggesting. We, I just think it would be fun. I I think we actually do have her at the yeah. It's in the it's in here. Men of Breathful, including Emil Deer present. Okay, so right. so, so we she's there at the wedding. Yes, <laughs> and and if you think about it, like how in right like I just think like think about my my mom and how <laughs> she would react if she found out that. My father-in-law sent me on a suicide mission. Yes, she would be enraged. She'd be livid. Like, how right. dare you? Exactly, exactly. Yeah, and it, and it really hit. It really brings home like how obnoxious. Yes, and, no, and, and like callous this, this thing is. The wonderful thing, the wonderful nonverbal exchange, right, of Thingol being like, "Here I am, being all gracious and allowing you peon humans into my kingdom, and and even more graciously, I can't, I can't believe you can possibly thank me enough for allowing your son to marry my daughter." And Emil dear looking at him like something she just scraped off the bottom of her shoe. Yeah, uh, because, like, <laughs> because like, here she, I am, being gracious enough to not murder you on. On the spot right right yeah right. we do have time no not a lot of time but a little bit of time in the beginning of the next episode for interactions at like the wedding party at the end of this episode all we have is just a, a very brief scene yes. showing that the wedding is taking place so we'll show emil dear there and we'll show single there so if you want to call out a very specific expression on Emma Blue's face during all of this, we can do that. See, it's hard because it's hard for me to imagine a like it would like it would become a bigger deal. Like it would be hard to I mean it might like, be better to have a verbal interaction in the next episode at yeah. the wedding party. Because yeah. there is gonna be obviously you can't just have a wedding. There has to be a, a party after the wedding. Yeah. Yeah. You can't just invite your human in-laws to travel all this way and not throw a big party yeah. for them. Yeah, right. you need a good reception. You gotta, you gotta. It's too bad that your best DJ's out of town, but right. But you throw a big party, and then, in traditional Tolkien fashion, some horrible monster busts in and interrupts it. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So that will be for next episode. Yeah. But in that 
social setting, it's possible that Emil Deren Thingle could exchange some words and that her words See, could be tinged with frostiness for some it's reason. Hard because like I kind of feel like Emil Deer was would is she does not strike me as a word mincing type, right? Mm-hmm. And it's hard for me to see how, like, if they interact with each other verbally, how she could say anything that would not, like, be actionable. <laughs> or, like, right. yeah. I mean, yeah. what's what's Thingle going to say or do if Emil Deer comes and is like, oh, the man who tried to murder my son. Yes. Nice to meet you. Like, you know, it's, I mean, if she gives him even even the smallest piece of her mind, right? Yeah. It's going to be a politically awkward situation. Right. <laughs> so, I don't know. I mean, right. my, do you my... need the men to be invited back? Yes. Right. Yes. But they, so I think that most of what's going to happen in the next episode is going to be subtext. Um, yeah. Even then. But, um, yeah. yeah. Even just like Emil Deer showing restraint, right? Yeah. To, yeah. Uh, to, to, you know. But yeah, I could like. At the very least, I could see her like giving Thingle the cut direct at the at the reception. Yeah. You know, just like well, she's refusing gonna, she's, to talk to him. Yeah, she's going to show up with Narsil on her hip, with like just white knuckling it the entire time. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Um, oh man, I mean, it's um, yeah. Well, but it'll be interesting. Well, okay, well, now I'm poaching onto next episode, which I yeah, shouldn't do, we but probably. Um, but yes, it does raise uh, the, the question, Marie, that you just raised, like um, not only in theory, their interaction not only has to not scuttle the whole idea of Thingle, like Thingle has to go away from this, not only not thinking, well, that was a mistake. I'm never inviting humans into Doriath again, <laughs> but it, it should in some way, like contribute to his change of mind about it. And um so th- that would be sort of the challenge, I think, for any MLD reaction. Um, but uh, it's yeah. possible that we can have her interact with Melian mm-hmm. and be much more willing to interact with Melian. Yes. And Thingle could just not notice that the right. mother of the groom is not cool with him because, <laughs> you know, Baron's father's dead. So that's why he's not here. So if Thingle right. feels like, I feel like there's someone else I should be talking to at this party. Oh, right. His dad's dead. Okay, never mind. Right. So we might be able to pull that off if she's cordial to Melian. Right. Because yeah. obviously it's not Melian's fault that the quest happened. No, it's not Melian's fault. Though MLD might not fully appreciate that, perhaps. But, um, but uh, Baron does tell her things in this episode and that's how she gets the story out of him of what's going on right right Right. so um so we at least get baron's perspective on the quest passed on to emil dear yeah yeah um yeah by the way i keep thinking about the enormously complicated emotional reaction emil dear must have when baron arrives yeah I mean, first of all, as you said, it's, yes, confirmation of the dad's death, but she has to have been assuming Baron was dead yes. for a, a long time, right? Yeah. So, like, holy cow, my son is alive. Oh, wait, except he's dying, <laughs> right? And he's missing like, a hand, and who's she? <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, oh, my goodness. Uh, really, really, um, uh, really complex emotional situation for ML Deer here. Yeah, um, yeah so... What 
tell me about the I feel like I'm I now I'm well it's not poaching because it's in this episode but um let's let's kind of skim over and do these things as well here we are yes Emily and her mixed feelings tell me about the since we have a bunch of different human characters here right we have Emily we have Andreth uh, aged this is eighty year old Andreth right. Um, we have, um, yeah, I think she's 78 technically, right. but yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, we have, um, uh, Rian, right. Who is sort of the spokesperson of the younger generation. Um, mm-hmm. and an, another one that, that glimpse of the, the bereavement, right. Of the loss yeah. of the, you know, the outlaws. Um, and we also have, what's her name? The, uh, Haladine. Well, oh, uh, Gloridel. Yeah. 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 So that's. Um, yeah. So th- we get these different all female because it's a predominantly f- female crew there in the. Because this was the wives and children that were sent off, right? Well, yeah. and any not men in, in the army. Yeah. Any men in the army who didn't join the outlaws in Dorthonian, which remember was only a very small band. Right. Right. Are here too as refugees, which right. is part of the tension. But mm-hmm. the entire male leadership team right. is gone. Died. Which yeah. is why right. Emildir's in charge. Not right. yeah, because not only did Barry here die, but also um Bal- Balagund and Barragund. Right? Yeah. That's the right Balagund and Barragund, yeah. Elegant. Yeah, I Elegant keep mixing up yeah. who, which vowel goes which with the L and which vowel goes with the R. <laughs> yes, um, yes. But um, they're they're gone, and Bregolus is dead, and his like presumably all of the guys that died with him were like their elder statesmen. Yes. So like their yeah. entire male leadership team gone. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Baron's yeah. the sole survivor. And which is why now, like Emil Deer and Andreth are completely in charge, and anybody that they're talking to is generally going to be um, right. Enough of yep. the feminine persuasion. Yes. Yeah. So, do we get um, among all of the voices, the human voices that we get in this camp in this episode? Do we have anyone who is articulating a like a an anti-elf perspective like anyone who just distrusts elves generally we didn't want to redo thingle's storyline with a human character that wasn't that important right like yeah. i'm sure there are people in brethel who are slightly distrustful of elves but they're gonna just avoid talking to the elf who's there and look at her funny uh, you know right. like they're not they don't have a story right right yeah I was just um, unless there's it, somebody you were thinking of that you well, wanted it's to. also it's also hard to bring somebody in just to be the just to hold the jerk ball just to be a jerk for the episode yeah, yeah, you know yeah what I was thinking of was not to create a temporary jerk but to articulate some mouthpiece for the um I don't think marrying an elf is you know necessarily a picnic kind of perspective you know the 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 idea that um baron for somebody to i would think that there would be humans 
who would look with disapproval on this, on what mm-hmm. Baron is doing. Um, and um, I don't know. If we want Glorithel's husband to express, he's the actual leader of the Haladine. She's the lady of the Haladine. Right. But um, if we wanted him to like pull Baron aside and say something, we could. It doesn't. Have uh, to he's be the like one who's been unadulterated bigotry necessarily. Like, right. Yeah. That's the, the thing. Is what do you want said? If you're only going to get that one line. Well, I, honestly, like. Even Emildir can be can say something to the effect of like, look, you know how they, like they don't really treat us as equals, right, right. You know, yeah, yeah. They, um, I I would think there could easily be even again even against someone who's not just a jerk, some kind mm-hmm. of perfectly rational, like um, what like loyalty patriotic feelings in a sense like you know nick like you were saying like they they think themselves all high and mighty right right they look down on us and treat us like pets again not all of them and not all of the time and i'm not saying that all elves are evil but like there's this are you sure you want to do this yeah, yeah are you exactly like this is um this is not there are lots of reasons why this would not, i mean again it's 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 intuitive to think of the reasons why it's a might be a bad idea for an elf to marry a human, right? Right. But there are reasons the other direction as well, and to uh, to really not only do you realize the family you're marrying into, right? Not not just that, like because that's a factor, right? Like they'll never accept you. You know, they're going to look down on you. You're going to spend the rest of your life being treated as, uh, you know, a freak basically like this you know as if um as if luthien had found tamed and then mysteriously married a particularly you know uh uh, intelligent forest animal right i mean like yeah always again you could easily see how the humans would how how his mom might worry that that's how they're going to look at him right because he's so far below them and they think so highly of themselves right yeah so emildir and andreth do have a conversation about this where Emildir might have been more careful what she said directly to her son. She's not trying to alienate him right. when she just got reunited with him. Right. Um, but she is concerned. And so she starts talking to Andreth and wants to say, this is something that's never been done before. Humans and elves have never married each other. I don't know what my son's doing. So in that conversation, she could express some of these things. Mm-hmm. Right. Of course, the turn of the conversation is when Andreth's going to say, well, Actually, actually, (laughs) (laughs) and tell the story with Agnar, which since you mention it, (laughs) yeah, and Emildir had no idea, right? Yeah, that that had happened, and so it puts the context of wait, this has happened before, and yeah, it didn't end great for Andreth, but it it's not completely as unheard of as you might think, and I. Andreth can see how a human might decide that it's worth it to try to marry yeah. an elf. She yeah. can she can put herself into that imaginative position. Um, so the um, I, I, sorry, a, a funny thought just occurred to me in the middle of this. We, remember how salty Andreth is in the aftermath, yes. right? Yes. Um, Emil Deer could quote her, like one of her sayings about the elves, um, mm-hmm. because she she's I mean, like that. 
you could easily pull a direct quote from yes. Andreth in the first half of the Athrabeth, and that's exactly the kind of anti-elf human sentiment that I have in mind, right? Yes. Um, so okay, that's she, it. Yeah. Like so, I, yeah. I think the voice—the voice that you're looking for—is Emil Deer, but she can't say it to Baron. <laughs> she, she has to say it to, to Andreth. <laughs> yeah, and she yeah. could bring it up to Andreth, thinking that she has a sympathetic audience. Yes. Right. Yeah. I remember you used to say that, yes. like, you know, the firstborn, like the way they treat us, and they can't, and that, you know, it's not. Um, I, I get like all of the. I just I get quoting from the early parts of the Athrabeth. Yeah. And then have Andreth say. And, and we were supposed to know. And you know, remember this is Emil Deer, right? Like so having her think in terms of and they said that we were gonna fight this battle together against the Dark Lord, and then he came and where were they? Right. Right. Crickets. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, I mean, granted if they stayed in Narbathron, then at least it would have been marching <laughs> with the army up in there and then but then they probably would all have died, so it doesn't matter. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The, 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 the happy thing is remembering the fact that no matter where they had stayed, they would pretty much all end up dead sooner or later anyway. So yes. it's, it's a uh, very happy thought. Yes, it is. It is. Um, yeah. Trying to play what if with the first age <laughs> is, uh, you just can't get it to turn out well. <laughs> right. It's it almost happen, like it's supposed to happen here. this way. But then they all die anyway. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So but um, the, the little bits yeah. of you catastrophe that do fit into the story are obviously much more frequent in the Baron and Luthien story. And yeah. we we do get to see how providentially some of these things did work out. Um, but Emil Deer's not going to see that right now. Mm-hmm. So she's mm-hmm. she's concerned yeah. for her son. Yeah. No, so I agree. That's the conversation where this this really should come out. And again, one of the goals is both to really make sure it's clear what is at stake, humanly speaking, right? Like why right. this is a why this is a big deal and not just this is not just Baron winning the lottery. This is Baron um, stepping out and taking a risk, which is you know taking as big a leap as Luthien is taking, right? Um, and uh, and yeah, we talked about Rian. Should be a little bit more at the risk of giving more spoilers. We should be a little bit more explicit. Um, I do love the way that you were setting up. Um, Rian, Rian is the one who's just going to die of grief after Hoover's yeah. death, um, and so this—I uh, found that very a very very poignant scene when Baron is talking about the death of her father, and he's trying to emphasize the, you know, what he accomplished and and how great of a hero he was, and Rian simply saying, "But that means he never, he never came home, right?" Um, and that's um, a really powerful anticipation of Rian's reaction to the death of Huor at the end of the Near Knife. So um, just wanted to note that. I think that's a brilliant... As I say, there's so much payoff in both directions in this episode. It's so good. And obviously what we're trying to set up is that Luthien's about to lose her brand new husband in a violent action where he's out being a hero. So her experience is about to match right. the women in the story that we've just met here. Yeah. 
and right. Um, <laughs> right. Maybe you should um, notice the fact. Uh, maybe you should pay more attention to how many widows you are talking to right now. Right. Yes. Um, uh, yeah. I mean, technically, it's only Emil Deer, but it's only one widow. Yeah. But the yeah. grief is a little bit more pervasive, and the yeah. the pattern is there. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Much premonition of imminent widowhood. <laughs> right. Uh, Everyone gets to be a widow. Yay. Everyone gets to be a widow. That's right. <laughs> Welcome to the first stage. Um, <laughs> yes. Um, and it's... Hang on. Does the does the book describe whether Luthien, human Luthien, or Baron die first? No. It's... Oh. The, they're, they die in the same year. Would, so. Wouldn't that be ironic, though, if she passed before him? Right, if, if he outlives her, yes. Right? It's no. kind of implied because um, she dies a year after she gets the Naglamir. Yeah. And it says that that hastened her end mm. in the text. Now, whether that's just because, wow, she died like just a year later, what happened? Um, yeah. or Or not, but it's possible she goes first. Yep. Yeah. I think so. I think yeah. so. Um, yep. You know what's going to be fun? Not skipping that scene. <laughs> like, actually actually telling the end of the Baron and Luthien story is going to yeah. be really, really interesting. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. But that is a later problem, or a yes. later opportunity. Issue. Um, Tell me, um, tell me more about the healing business because uh, uh, there was a great deal of emphasis laid. On, I mean, obviously he needs to be healed, right? He's just had his hand bitten off, um, yeah. and the wound is not even just going septic, right? The wound, the wound is there right. actually like venom in play, or is it just like yeah, a hideous infection? Yeah, there's poison from the bite. Yeah, I mean, it could be an infection that's causing the poison. I don't. I mean, I don't know the details. Right. Um, of magic werewolf bites. Right. I think, I, but I. Think I know he that doesn't turn into a werewolf. But <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. That's all but I can assure you. I think. Yeah. I think that the important thing here is that um, we're once again we see the dichotomy between what Luthien is able to do to help versus what she can't. Right. So she needs them to help deal with the actual wound and the normal mundane sort of things that occur as a result of, of a sudden and violent amputation. Um, but there's also the evil magic of Karkaroth's spirit acting on the, the flesh and perhaps there's some sort of like... Um, a little necrosis he's take, going on there. Yeah, he's taken some necrotic damage, mm -hmm, right? In addition mm -hmm. to the regular damage, on top of that, there's layered a little bit of necrotic damage, right? Is and there, it's on. Is there? It's an ongoing effect. Is it gangrenous? Ugh. Is there putrefaction? No, there are so no, many no. fun so, words stop. related to this <laughs> to so, this situation. So here's the deal. Recall <laughs> when we were talking about uh, Corey. We're not allowed to have like horror things in, in this oh, show, remember? We can't do that. I see. Yeah, right. we're not allowed. I see. We draw the line at gangrene? No, it's not that. It's that <laughs> so, in the earlier episode when he was shot yeah, by an arrow. the infection. Yeah. And she had to heal him. 
she was getting a little flustered because he doesn't heal up like an elf does. So all her experience of medicine and healing is not something that applies to mortal humans. Mm -hmm. And so she was a a little concerned about his recovery there. And it worked out fine. Hulan helped her out. Everything was good. Yay, Baron back on his feet. Here, she knows that she has that limitation. So she lets the humans take over at first being like, look, you guys know how human bodies work. Go for it. Save him from whatever's right. happening with that dance. Right. Right. Um, and then as she sees what the problem is and that there is something that Alvin Medicine can help with, then she steps in to try to deal with the whatever effect Karkaroth left behind, whether it is poison or venom or gangrene or an evil spirit or whatever like it's it's a magic werewolf bite so she has to undo the evil magic of the werewolf bite yeah that sounds like a thing elvish medicine takes care of right it does it does sounds like something very uh the already to be cured by uh luthien's song basically Mm -hmm. exactly so she just sounds like something you could heal by dancing Mm. right so, so she just has to put the final touch on the healing process, but the humans did all the typical things you do to take care right. of an amputation, which right. would involve, I mean, right. eventually they're going to want the skin to grow over the wound. So you have to make sure you're uh, not letting it heal too quickly to, cause you don't want it to get too tight, right? You want it to be able to, to grow and extend over the wound and everything. So there's a lot of steps you do to, to gradually heal an amputation and not just instantly sew it up and say, all right, you're done. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and I'm not a doctor, so I don't know what that is, but I know, <laughs> I know there's a process. Uh, right. And there's, we also talked about having the Holodine being kind of like, is she, is she a witch? Cause right. she kind of seems like a witch. <laughs> right. And, you right. know, whereas the the Baorians are like they've lived. Um, well, not and none of these people have lived among the elves, but they understand. It's, it's part of their culture. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. They understand that there's an element of this. Right. So right. Emil fine with what's going on. She's not like, what is this witch doing to my son? Right. In the scene. Um, <laughs> but... right. This is not her concern. She has concerns about her son, but it's not to do with his healing. Yeah. yeah. Right. Right. So if anything, we were trying. <laughs> we were trying to show that everyone's working together to make this happen. And despite some pretty strong cultural differences and who are you and where did you come from? Right. That they're seeing in each other something that they find that they can trust so luthien can trust the healing skills of the humans that she's found herself among to save baron like that's obviously really important to her right now right and she's trusting them to do it like and emildir is seeing the care that she's taking with baron like ah okay they do love each other (laughs) she really does love him not a what is she doing hanging around my son kind of right. thing so we were trying right. to start she has, it out she in a has place honorable intentions towards herself exactly yeah. exactly right. so so we're just trying to establish that there's some mutual trust going on and it's not all bad news but a few people want to talk about a few things <laughs> right yeah. yeah right yeah yeah um so speaking of people talking about a few things what what are we and obviously this is um 
a sort of a final decision moment for Baron and Luthien, right? We worked out the how are they understanding their relationship and what are they going to do situation back in episode nine, right? So to some extent, we get a little bit of a of a uh, a redux of that, right, in this episode. Um, okay, so we kind of got the Silmaril and we kind of don't have the Silmaril, so now where are we, right? Are we done? Can we retire? You know, can we just, do we go back to Thingol or not? Um, uh, so how... Right. How, how are you guys sort of... Well, one simple way to ask the question. How is it different? Like, how are, how are right. we presenting how this situation... Like, the, why are they... Why is, how is this not going to sound like the same conversation they already had? Exactly. How many times are Baird and Luthien going to have the conversation <laughs> of, I have to complete the quest so that I can win your father's approval? And she says, no, no, we can just dance in the woods by ourselves right. forever. Right. That's fine, too. Right. And the answer is about four times. And so, <laughs> um, right. So this is not the last time they have this conversation, but it is about the last time. And Mm -hmm. the one difference is that there is no more quest. The quest is over. And apparently it has ended in failure. So Mm -hmm. just like the Orpheus Eurydice situation you've got going on behind you, uh, that doesn't end well. Like that is an unsuccessful attempt at winning Silmarils. And, or daughters or whatever they are that you're winning. Um, I think I lost my metaphor. So they failed. And so Baron has now failed his quest, lost his hand, and has nothing. And therefore, the conversation is not complete the quest and win Dingle's approval, but more can we throw ourselves on Dingle's mercy and just go back and ask him for his blessing anyway without the quest right right and they've kind of already said that because that was where they part of what they were talking over in episode nine so again still rehashing but now with the failed quest and the the right and they haven't they hadn't even made the attempt then right Right. so it was like are we gonna attempt it or not and then they obviously attempted it they're like okay (laughs) we tried that we did that uh we're done with that right so So what is what are their attitudes towards the, I mean, is, is Baron feeling like a failure? I mean, is this, is this, I mean, is, I could easily imagine him taking it on himself, right? Like they got in there. Yeah. She put Morgoth, cast Morgoth into slumber for crying out loud. And he like got the Silmaril and, and then like fumbled it at the end. Right. Yeah. It just got ripped right out of his, Arm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, right. Technically, not yes. ripped out of his hand, right? But right. of course, but um, but yeah. yeah. I mean, so is I mean, is he is he down on himself about this? Yeah, I mean, is, a, yeah. a little bit. Yeah. yeah. So, um, you know, in the Neverending Story, there's the the Rockbiter character, and he's like, yeah. these mm. look like big, the big, strong, strong hands. Oh. Yes. Don't they? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's it's that. Um, yeah. Like I had it in my hand. Yeah. And it's, on yeah. and obviously he's i mean that character is quite depressed in the never-ending story baron of yeah. course has his mom sitting next to his bedside and he's got luthien with him so he's not at that level of might as well just give up now right but right. he right. is feeling a bit like a failure 
So he needs to heal his wound, but yeah. he also needs to recover his spirits to be willing to do anything as his next mm-hmm. step. So in the first part of this episode, he's not doing much. You know, he's mm-hmm. passed out <laughs> and or sitting there getting better. So right. he's, he's, but when his mom starts questioning him about this quest and is all like, wait, what are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> Why are you doing all this stuff? Yeah. He had to get a bit defensive, right. not only of his own actions, but of like, no, Lucian helped me so much. And, you know, the elf lord Finrod was a great help too before he got himself killed. And, right. you know, yeah. like, so he's being defensive of the actions he's taken to get to this point. And a bit of a, clearly this was my fate and my destiny. And people have worked so hard to get me to this point. I can't stop now. So right. in going over the journey he's been through, he kind of recovers enough of his spirit to be willing to, to continue moving forward. Right. And, and I think that there's also a, a point of can his defensiveness kind of reveal a certain amount of doubt. Cause like, I thought my fate was either to, to gain the Cimarill or die trying. And here I am having had neither of those things happen. Yes. Not, right. Neither of those things has been accomplished. So maybe I was wrong about what my fate was because here I sit without a Cimarill and alive. Yeah. That's where he has to fall back on Finrod. Right. Right. And that's, that's exactly what I was going to ask next. Um, the resolution in episode nine and remind me because it was several weeks ago and I've already forgotten half of it. Um, they had the two different perspectives, right? Which they both had to come to an end. So they were at cross purposes because they were both thinking about it from a different perspective and prioritizing different things. His prioritization was on like his doom, right? Like it is my, it is my doom. Like he's the one who had like the vision of like the, this, it has been laid upon me. I have to do this. This not just because of like stubborn pride. Like I swore I would, and I'm not going to give up no matter what. And not just because of like, you know, cultural necessity, like, well, I have to get the approval of the father of the bride and I can only do that if I get it somewhere else. So no matter what I have to do it, but this higher, like this sense of like, no, no, there's, um, there is a higher destiny at play here. I am in, I, you know, this, this, I don't know why, but this, you know, I don't fully understand it, but this is bigger than me. This is bigger even than just the two of us and our relationship. This is something that has to happen. That has to be done. What was the other side? That's what I'm forgetting. I remember that part. What was her perspective? Luthien's was... perspective was, why can't we just go dance in the woods? Yeah, <laughs> I was, yeah. real, I was real good with the dancing in the woods part. But and, whatever we're going to do, we're going to do it together. Whatever we're going to do, we're going to do it together. Yes. Right. right. And that that question is completely answered at this point. Right. There's they are, no point. Yeah. Yeah, they are together. And that's the part where Emildur knows she's too late to change this direction. Right. Like, right. her son's engaged. So that's, yeah. it's that's, yeah. It's very clear that that decision has been made. And so she's not trying to split them up. Mm-hmm. Just she's trying to save him his pain yeah mm-hmm. um okay so my big question then is how does baron especially but both of them really but baron especially 
process the failure of the quest in the context of that mm. vi- or to say the same thing another way how has his vision of the destiny of their destiny and you know the doom that is laid upon them changed in the context of the loss of the Silmaril, right? Uh, I mean, if he, he, one of the, the kind of the dramas with Baron here that like, as they return to this conversation here, um, again, they're not at cross purposes anymore. As you say, that question of like, whatever we we do, we're going to do together um, has been resolved. But I would think that there would be a little bit of a crisis of the vision of that destiny, the vision of the vision of doom. Right. Um, I thought that this doom was laid upon us, was laid upon me. Right. And I now accept that it's us. Right. Uh, This doom was laid upon us to uh, go and get the Silmaril or die trying. And now, Nick, as you say, neither one of those things has happened. Right. We don't have the Silmaril and we didn't die trying. So what does that mean? Have we failed in our destiny? If, if, If returning with a Silmaril, if bringing a Silmaril back was not, in fact, the destiny that lay before us, um, then what is? What is the point of us? Like, why, mm-hmm. what, what, what should we go do? What, 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 what can we, what is still to be achieved? Have we already failed? Um, Episode 13 is to be achieved. <laughs> right, but, but he doesn't know that. But, <laughs> yeah, but yeah. this is Baron's yeah. perspective, and right, he yeah, can no. only see what yeah. he's already seen. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, so I, go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say that um, my interpretation of this is that Baron is kind of like, okay, maybe we could just always live on the run, and, like, that's not great, and I'm sorry about that, and I feel really bad about it, um, but... You know, you're you're right. You know, we whatever we're gonna do, we're gonna get together. And she's basically like, I think that at this point, it might be your pride a little bit that's causing us to not try to go back to Doriath and talk Mm -hmm. to my dad. Mm -hmm. You Mm -hmm. know, like, and. You know, once that kind of comes out, it's like, okay, all right, all right, that's right. yeah, that's but, what we got to do then. But is that in his mind? Like, what's happening? What's he? Do- is it? Is he going back to Doriath to beg? Is he going back to Doriath to apologize? He, I think he might see it as trying to beg even now uh-huh. until Andreth comes in and and delivers her pithy wisdom. But I, I don't think that Luthien sees it that way at all. Right. What, what Luthien wants to do and what they do at the end is go back to Doriath and tell the people of Doriath the story of Baird and Luthien. Right. She just wants to show the, share the story of the quest. And, you know, maybe the point of the quest wasn't getting the Silmaril after all. Maybe it was, it was the, the story. Friends you made the friends along the exactly. way. Yeah. I think that's a very Luthien approach to quest. You know, what is a quest anyway? It's true. <laughs> right. It's true. So so that's that's what she wants to do. And, right. And obviously Baron agrees to this course of action. But it's it's understood between them that there's some element of throwing themselves on Thingol's mercy here, that if he right. still says no, 
there might be consequences. He right. might put more impediments in their path. He might right. kick them out of Doriath never to return, you know, whatever. They don't know what he'll do. But right. But I think it's at possible this point, that it's going to yeah. have th- a consequence. I, th- I think at this point, Luthien can convince him that, can convince Baron that, like, whatever, like, look at what we've accomplished. Whatever my father puts in our way, we're going to overcome. Right. She's convinced that they're going to be together at the end of this meeting. Right. Like, no, she's wait. not worried. She does not view her father as an obstacle. Right. Yes. Uh, because see, let's be real. Because um, <laughs> she is Melian's daughter. <laughs> right. Right. Why would she see anything as an obstacle? <laughs> right. Um, but when Andrith comes in, um, and like, I, like at first I was like, is this is this too cheesy? But like, this Bar- it's exactly what Baron does in the book. And so when it, when they're like, well, you know, we're gonna have to, we're gonna go back and. It's too bad that uh, you know I, I told the Thingle that I would return with a simril in my hand, and I clearly don't have that. And Andrew is like, "Do you not?" Right. Yeah. <laughs> like, are you sure? Because <laughs> I heard this story, and I'm pretty sure you do. Um, right. right. Um, That's the the emphasis of Baron focusing on the I don't have a hand, I don't have a hand for the whole first part of this. Right. Is so that when he's like, oh wait, there's a Silmaril in my hand. Right. Right. <laughs> and we don't have to like and and so you know, anybody with any sense is going to see where this is going, but it's still fun, I think. Is um is so is someone else going to give him then what seems to be the sort of obvious pep talk right you didn't fail you didn't fail in the no. quest you achieved no, the quest I, right well and that's it, because the reality is that he's achieved the quest on a technicality like semantically he's achieved the quest right, right? and so the, we didn't want to spend a lot of time on that just giving Andreth just a line that indicates that this is the solution yeah. Right. Um, because not... that's that's what the hunt for the wolf is for. Right. He is gonna fulfill and finish the quest. Yes. And he is gonna die trying. Yes. Right. So both those things are true. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> right. um, don't don't worry. It's not that you've achieved neither of them. You've achieved them both. Hooray! <laughs> Good job, Ben. <laughs> not yet. <laughs> You're an um, overachiever, not an underachiever. Right, right. So so that's why we don't want to reassure him now, because we want it to still feel a little bit unfinished. So when he decides, I've got to go hunt that wolf, it'll make sense mm-hmm. as a motivation for him that he's trying to finish this quest. Right. Um, See, in the Also, text, that wolf owes me a hand. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, in, in the text, it... In the text, it seems to me... It, it always struck me as almost opposite of that that like mm. when baron does the hand thing mm-hmm. there is defiance in baron there like when he's not yeah. going back to beg forgiveness he's not going right. to thingle to admit failure right. he goes I to agree. thingle and is like i did the thing right. um and and by by doing the hand thing right though you know holding up the one hand and opening it mm-hmm. and holding up the stump um He's not just being like, oh, well, like, Kai, I got you. It's technically in my hand. You didn't say my hand had to be here. Ha, ha. <laughs> right, right. I mean, right. His attitude isn't that. You know, yes. he, he's basically sort of not only saying, not only did I complete the quest, 
look what I sacrificed in the, right. in the you know, you should take me the more seriously. And then when Karkaroth comes in, right, it feels more like a, well, crap, I guess the quest is, you know, now it's looking the clear. The quest that caught up with us. Yeah, the quest, yeah exactly. Yeah. I thought that he actually thought it was done, that he, he thought it was achieved and was, was ready to go. Like he was ready to yeah. settle down and be, and yeah. be fine, be See, done, you know. See, I think that what we're saying here is um, is that the quest is not, the quest is not achieved, but that's okay. Look, what I like, Luthien tells is telling you the story of what we've accomplished, and look what I sacrificed for this. As you say, in defiance, but but it's Andreth that gives him that right, the ammunition to do that, and right. the. The vibe of the scene with Thingol. Yes, Baron can march in there and be defiant and be like, ha, got the quest done. You thought it would kill me. Looks like it didn't. You know, like he can do all that. But it only that killed would... part of me. And it's going <laughs> to finish killing him in a bit. But the, the interaction there doesn't show much reconciliation with Thingol. Like, yes, we was thing will say oh okay i accept baron as my son-in-law that is the outcome of that meeting so being defiant wasn't a bad thing but there's very little reason for thingle to show a change of heart in that mm. the way that scene plays out so it's all you just have to kind of interpret what's going on and we wanted to show the audience what's going on so yeah, we had they... to show we had to show thingle identify with baron in some way right the vague impression that I always got from the text is that Thingol's change of heart just comes from him looking on Baron and saying essentially like, dang, that is metal right there. New respect. New respect. Thingol as Jack Black is what you're saying. <laughs> you know, tallest, I'm just, I'm just that, you know, that, that the being con- ever played by Jack Black. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, casting settled. There you go. Um, but no, the the just like that that his reaction seems to be like like basically like when Baron says like the Silmaril is in his hand, but like my hand is you know has been uh, has been severed and yet still holds the Silmaril, and I'm standing here in front of you showing my stomach. Everyone's just like, whoa, street cred through the roof. Like, um, you know, that's, um, and, and again, the implication I think is that this is the moment when Thingol realizes that he has massively underestimated Baron personally and humans generally. Right. Mm -hmm. But also his daughter. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. And that, that the love of Baron and Luthien is a thing new and strange. Right. Yes. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. So the emphasis we put in the scene was that as Luthien is telling the story, Thingol realizes that Baron falling in love with Luthien is not unlike himself falling in love with Melian. Right. Like there's some parallels there. Real I love that, parallels. by the way. Like that was that was one of my other favorite moments of this entire episode was the yeah. exchanged glance between Melian mm-hmm. and Thingol, the connection that was right there for him to make originally that yeah. he did not make, and if, it's only now that he yeah. sees it. If right. ever an elf did not have much grounds 
for stopping his daughter from marrying a human. Right. If there ever there was anyone who had no ground to stand on in complaining yes. about somebody <laughs> marrying up. Um, yes. 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 Or, or, to, or to put it the other way around, who had it, you know, to say like, oh, no, daughter, don't marry him. He's so far beneath you. You should never marry somebody who's really, really far beneath you. Like, obviously, Thingol would be, is, yeah. Yeah, no, I love it. Yeah. I, I, I love that. Uh, I love. And, and of course, yeah. it's more than just personal, right? It's more than just like, well, that's right there. It does kind of remind us of the old days, doesn't it, honey? Like, there's more than that there. Mm-hmm. It's also recognizing, like. It's not just personal to them. Like Thingol, yes. the union of Thingol and Melian is a big deal apart from the fact that it makes Thingol personally happy. <laughs> right? Yes. This yes. is, you know, and, and, and so, again, it's him to realize, like, I, I, I was not realizing that this relationship between my daughter and this dude is, like... Of cosmic significance, but it turns out it is right. Yes, and step one of breaking the world. Helps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was Thingol and Melian. Yes, and right. yeah. So, so because we wanted to emphasize that part of the scene, we may have lost a little bit of the Baron being so metal to impress the entire court of Doriath <laughs> with the hand thing. Um, right. So I, I don't know if if that's a bad thing. I mean, because it is a cool scene, obviously, for him to be like, ha, ha, ha. (laughs) Right. But the quest is achieved. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But again, we wanted to have the doubts in the beginning and then more certainty at the end, but still in that process, talking through what to do. Right. Mention that they're relying on Thingol's mercy because we didn't want it to be a done deal for the audience right. that they're going to go back to Doriath and everything's going to be fine. Yes. So, so there, that's part of what it is, is we're working through all these things to get to that point. And, and I, something may have been lost in all that. I, I do mm-hmm. acknowledge. No, I mean, that, that is definitely, um, I was, I was feeling the difference in that scene. Uh, yes. even just from the outline, I was feeling the difference in that scene. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. but I can see, I can see what would be gained by that shift yeah there well because the the as marie said you know if we left brethel with the knowledge that thingle was caught mm-hmm. in this situation mm-hmm. right like case closed baron gets luthien right right well that's not really true is it like he's still gotta give his consent um and we didn't want to set it up as Thingol can either go back on his word or allow Baron to marry his daughter. It, he should willingly mm-hmm. grant that. And this yeah. gave him the agency to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, and the, the wedding under Hero Lorne. Awesome. Right. Again, we can pay off uh, some more of the, uh, you know, like the reunion of Luthien and Hirolorn, you know, after their last scene uh, at her escape. We're not done with that yet either, by the way. Right. I figured. I figured. Again, like the the scope, the the wealth of scope for payoffs in this project is so marvelous. Like, it's just the best. That's what I love about this episode. But um, speaking of that. 
it's getting late and we haven't even talked about Galadriel. So let's talk about the, the choice, which was the biggest <laughs> surprise to me. It's the thing I did yes. not see coming. Yes. Uh, is that we it's were the thing get... you didn't tell us to do. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It was, it was a surprise, yes. but it was a yes. fun surprise. Um, uh, Galadriel comes back and gives Thingol a piece of her mind. Um, this yes. is kind of awesome. Uh, so um, tell me, tell me the role. Okay, so first of all, I want to focus on Galadriel's character. Like, what, where, where is this showing us about where she is and what's been happening with her? So, let yes. me recap. And by which I mean, let me try to make sure I'm remembering correctly um, and pretend that I'm re-educating the listeners while doing it. Um, we got Goadriel in season four through her PTSD in Doriath, right? So she was all in Doriath for all of season four. We had her friendship with Luthien. We had her learning from Melian. We had um, her meeting Celeborn and uh, Celeborn you know, being a good listener and helping her to work through uh, her sense of guilt and everything from the kinslaying and everything else. Uh, so, and then we ended with the wedding of Galadriel and Celeborn at the at the end of season four. In season five, they were peripherally involved when the humans were coming over the mountains into Beleriand. Um, they were hanging out with the green elves of Osiriand during the unfriendship incident, uh, right, when the humans came over. Um, and she was basically trying to act as, like, diplomat. Um, so we had her meeting some of those early humans who came over, not Beor's family, but the the um, the Estolads, right, were the ones that she was meeting. Um, and uh, so... Anyway, so she she and was trying to mediate basically between the green elves and the Estolads. How did that end, by the way? Like, where do we leave her? That was the one thing I couldn't remember. She went to Doriath to talk to Thingle about it, and Thingle decided, you know what? No humans could ever enter, enter Doriath. <laughs> All right, okay. So that didn't go well. Um, and they they essentially she essentially delivered that and a similar decree from Osirian, um with perhaps somewhat gentler language, I think, if I recall. Right. Um, mm -hmm. Like, please, if you don't mind, don't bring your pigs across the river and we won't kill any of you. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, in, no in more hangs in the woods. Yeah. yeah. If you don't mind, please. Thank you very much. Right, right. Yeah, so it was basically a boundary dispute and she tried to establish the boundary between Assyrian yeah. and Estelad. Right. Right. Conveniently, there's a major river there, so you know, <laughs> right? So, which they decided on for the boundary. Um, yeah. So, so she as boundary was... disputes go, it was fairly straightforward. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Um, okay. So that was the last we saw. Was her? What was her? What were we making of her attitude in this? Was she? I mean, she was kind of the – she was placed awkwardly, right? The yes. green elves were not uh, – were ready to just shoot him. And the and and then she goes to Thingle to talk about it and he's like, let's just ban them, right? right? And so she has these two messages of unfriendship to deliver. And I recall her being a little bit uncomfortable with it. She wasn't just like yes. on board with the anti-human sentiment of either – Assyrian yes. or Doriath at that point. While still, though, recognizing that they were, the humans were very different and mm -hmm. 
dangerous to the elves in ways that other elves are not, while yet also not being straight up evil. Right. Right. Like, because but up until now, other than animals, their dangers have all been coming at them from Morgoth, right? Right. From, right. from the Dark Lord. And yeah, because even people... the dwarves have never been themselves a source of. I mean, there was some tension and stuff, but they didn't. They were there were never battles, were there? Right. Yeah. The the right. no the dwarves weren't interested in fighting right. the elves and going out. Right. right? That wasn't that like they, what's the profit in that? Right. Mm-hmm. Um. But these humans, they they're different, and it's because in a way they kind of they kind of are animals. Mm-hmm in a way that the elves are not, you know, they're because their mortality makes them so, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, the, the elves are made of the stuff of Arda. And so, yes, they are closer to nature itself, but their spirits are ascended in a way that um, they, ha- they have more spiritual control over the body. Is that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? It's because, okay, that's what it is. So it's because of their spiritual Con- their connection between the sp- their spirit and the s- the matter of their bodies that allows them it, because they are more connected the instincts that drive us to do the things that we know we shouldn't do yeah have to do with the fact that we are not our spirits are not connected enough with our bodies to prevent yes. that yes right yep. okay yep. elves do not struggle with concupiscence exactly yeah, yeah. the the that i mean again the medievals would have talked about it in terms of the uh, relative subordination or insubordination of appetite and reason right yes that yeah. uh, elves do not elves are not ruled by their appetites in the way that humans yes. are ruled by their appetites that yeah. is the that is the uh, that is the fundamental disorder that in the Middle Ages they they were that they're saying like that was original sin. This is why in uh, Paradise Lost, what's the first thing that happens after Adam and Eve eat the fruit? They immediately drop and have randy sex in the bushes. Like that's the first thing that happens in Paradise Lost because like appetite takes over. Like as soon right. as they like the appetite yeah. is no longer subjected to reason, and yes. Um, so yes. Anyway, point is. Agreed. That is that particular kind of struggle is a struggle that elves don't have, which is why elves are are don't struggle with concupiscence. That's why there's you know, there's not a um, it is only like in very strange and sort of deviant cases that there's something like yes. even a temptation to infidelity or uh, something like that among them. Yeah. They just don't experience that issue. Um, now, possessiveness over jewels, though. Yeah, sure. I mean, you know, <laughs> you've got that one. They, everybody's got some issue or other, right? But no, but right. but that's right. a that's a fundamentally different kind of of, of thing. Yeah, right. I, I'm yeah. tempted to appeal to medie- medieval categories again, but I won't. Anyway, the point is that yeah. it's it's yes, that's a totally different kind of spiritual and psychological profile, right there. And right. And Galadriel recognized that difference between yes. the humans that she was meeting and the elves and realized, oh, yeah, these cultures need to be completely separate. Um, yeah. This this would not do well together on any level. So she she 
recognizes that but isn't quite on board with the hostility that yes. Assyria and, and Doriath are both pushing towards them. Yeah, it's so she, not she right tries to, to exterminate these people. That's wrong. That's right. wrong. So she tries to be very diplomatic about let's have a good fences make good neighbors conversation with yes. our neighbors and see if that goes well. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 Um, right. So her perception of the alienness of humans mm -hmm. leads to, um, I don't, but but her general attitude towards it is more sort of constructive than right. Yeah, she she that. has a conversation with Luthien because Luthien's like, oh, these mortals, what are they like? You've met them, tell me, right. you know, just out of curiosity. And so Galadriel is able to express her ideas to an elf right. about what she saw without just being, yeah, they're real weird. <laughs> right. Right. Now, when um, so she, that's where she was back in season, right? Five. That's where she was back. So when she busts onto the scene here in. Uh, in this episode, um, she's upset about the death of Finrod. Um, now, she she repents calling him a kinslayer, which I kind of love, by the way. But um, uh, what? Tell me more about her frame of mind at the beginning of the episode and how it changes. So. I will admit that a certain amount of this story <laughs> came out of my jealousy with Rings of Power for coming up with Vengeful Galadriel before I did and getting there first. <laughs> I don't think I'll ever forgive them for that. <laughs> Especially since they were following in our footsteps with PTSD Galadriel in the first right? place. Right. And and like as soon as I saw it, as soon as I realized that that's where they were going, I was like, Oh, that solves a problem I've been having. And now I can't really now I can't use, use it. it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> and so so basically what we did was take that and kind of misplace it. Mm-hmm towards Thingol, mm -hmm. and it's not entirely misplaced. Like, she's got every reason to be peeved yeah, for no, him Thingol, setting Thingol, the ball rolling on this. Yeah, deserves yeah. peeve. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. well, and that's the thing, is no one in Doriath was going to say any of this stuff to him. Right. Because Doriath is full of people who are like, ah, yes, Thingol, he is our king and the greatest, and we agree with everything he ever says and does. Right. And this is the crux of why this is in this episode, really. Right. right. So we needed somebody external to call him on some of his stuff to show what work he needed to do to reconcile right. with Luthien before she came back. Right. And we needed him to admit he was wrong to somebody other than Melian. Right. Because it, it wouldn't have felt like it was worth anything if he just told his wife in private, yeah, I probably shouldn't have done that. Right. Like, there would have been no cost to him. Yes. And presumably he's the kind of guy who has to say stuff like that to his wife all the time. <laughs> right. I don't know anybody like there that. Are, there are downsides of marrying a goddess. It's true. Um, anyway, so yeah. so that's why we introduced Galadriel. And what has changed for her from the last time we saw her until now is that three out of three of her brothers have been killed yeah. brutally by Sauron right. or Balrogs yes. or, you know, and bad guys. Bad yeah, guys. Bad yeah. Guys. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So we did not show her reaction to the deaths of Angrod and Eignar in right. we focused on the Finrod's Darker reaction there. We yeah. did. And um, that is partially my fault. 
because Nick really wanted to put it in there, and I just crossed it right out. Of the <laughs> well, it would have been out of nowhere because she was not involved. You know, I mean, well, it, that, that was my argument. But I wanted to focus on Finrod's reaction yeah, and really no, make sure I, we got that. I totally so, support your decision. I mean, with with Goadriel, to bring Goadriel in there would have just been like a cameo, like there is a disturbance in the force kind of moment, mm-hmm. you know, from yeah. really far away, and and it wouldn't have gone anywhere, right? So, yeah. It's fine. So unfortunately, it didn't really fit there, but it was something we really wanted to touch on at some point, yeah. somewhere. Yeah. Her brothers are dying and she knows it. So yeah. it didn't really fit in the Dr. Bragalock episode, unfortunately, but it fit here because mm-hmm. now it's happened again for the third time. So she's even more upset than she was before. And she wants answers as to what happened because yeah. it's not a war right now. She knows what happened to Angrod and Agnar. And Agnar I mean, yeah. Yeah, yeah, they were they were killed in battle, but with with Finrod, she doesn't know what this is all about. He was safe. Yeah, like he was in Nargothrond and safe, and like nothing's going on. What happened? Yeah, it, so, it puts so she me goes. In... Sorry, Go I was just say it puts me in mind, and and of course now because it's been so long since I've read it, and because the, the I get confused between what's in the movie, what's in the books, <laughs> and what is in the movie because like it certainly happened in the books even if we didn't if it, the words of it aren't there but Aomer's reaction to finding Eowyn on the battlefield mm-hmm. which like Carl Urban oh man alive he sells that like that is it, one the, of my single favorite act like acting moments in the entire trilogy is that he, moment he's yeah. so wrecked because yeah. yeah. she was safe. She wasn't supposed yeah. to be there. Like, that yeah. was not a thing that he could have imagined could have happened. Yeah. And yeah. and I can imagine Galadriel feeling this. Right. <laughs> yeah. 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 Some sorcery I... must have. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. What yeah. madness yeah. or devilry is this, he says. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Right. And because he's very calmly, like, being like, ah, yes, you know, the king has fallen and here's his comrades who have fallen with him. Like, he's trying to be like, I should be a good leader and memorialize Let me compose these some people. alliterative poetry for the yeah. moment. Uh, yes. To, to commemorate yes. these people who died with their king. That's the thing you do in this situation. And then he gets to his sister and he's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> yes. And he loses it. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. then it's just yeah. like death. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, yeah, so we wanted to to see that now because um, yeah. that seems to be where Gladriel is. So at the beginning of the episode, she's just going to Doriath to get some questions answered. She doesn't know what happened. Doriath's closer than Nargothrond, so she, you know she's coming from Assyrian. So she goes to Doriath first, assuming that they've heard news and that they could fill yeah. her in. Yeah. And someone tells her, "Oh, yeah. Well, Finrod died at." full Syrian because you know Sauron took over it's like okay well what was he doing there it's like oh well he went you know went on a quest with the, the son of bear here oh yeah there's outlaws in Dorthonia and I heard about them what, what what was that all about and as the story of the quest comes out it finally comes out it's like well Thingol sent them and that's when she loses it when she realizes that this stupid quest that her brother died on the only yeah. reason he was in that tower to get killed by Sauron in the first place was Thingol's fault. And from getting that news, she immediately goes to Thingol and confronts him. So she's angry and just saying whatever's on her mind. And that's where she accuses him of being a kinslayer. So the only thing about this entire 
sequence that I didn't love was her apology afterwards. Yeah. I, 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 I I'm on her side. I'm mm. on her side. Like, so, cause in fact, I would add some hard words to the, to like, I, I think she, I think she undersold it. Um, mm. I, because I think that like she, and, and, and you were a big enough idiot to stir to life the oath of fell Feanor. This, yeah. right? Like we were moving past that now. And yeah. you of all people, Thingle, right? You and your anti-Noldor, specifically anti-Feanorian thing, you're going to spit in their faces right now and stir up the evil power of this oath. And look what came of it as soon as you did, right? Yeah. I mean, like that's yeah. – I, I mean, not only do I think she needn't apologize as much as she does, well, I think she's still pulling punches. I I agree with you on the the point that like challenging him on activating the oath of Feanor in his own direction. Yes, like yes. and just the sheer stupidity of the whole thing. Sure, he, but there's a sense also there's a sense that in which he has vacated the high ground on the oh, kinslaying yeah. issue. Oh, right. Like, I mean, he yeah. was right to, he was right to be like, yeah, y'all like murdered our kin and then came and lied to us about yeah. it. That's a big deal. And that's not okay. And he, he was like on the high ground that whole time. Yes. Right. I'm not yeah. saying that necessarily his actions in response to that are all perfectly okay. Or that yeah. his attitude was, was perfectly constructive, but he was on the high ground here. Right. As soon as he says, actually, I'd kind of like a Silmaril for my own self. Right. Now, right. like it's done. It's got no, no more complaints of, of how serious that. Yeah. Actually was. Yeah. However, none of that means that he killed Finrod. Totally does though. No, I'm still with Galadriel. Still okay. his fault. No, I, mean, I, no, I, no, I agree. No, no. Thingol did not force Baron to go to Finrod. No, he didn't. And but he, see, nobody, you know, like, like you could say that once Baron's at Finrod, uh, at Nargothrond, then Finrod is now compelled to act in, in, to his aid. So unless Baron, but see, here's the thing. This is why I think. Galadriel is wise enough to see past all these things. She's mm. wise enough to see the same thing that Finrod saw. Yeah. And thus yeah. are we all ensnared. Right. right? Well, that's a, and yeah. she's Once like, Baron's and who Nardifron, did the ensnaring? It. Who right. set this yeah. in motion? Right. Right. By, by laying this upon him, like, no, you didn't force him to go to Nargothrond. You didn't force Thingol to. But again, none of that would have. You, you kicked the hornet's nest. Right. This oh, whole... Yeah. Tangle of destinies in which Finrod was trapped. Trapped. He didn't choose it. He was trapped. He says he's trapped. Right now, in mm-hmm. the midst of being trapped, he does the right thing. Right. But he was trapped. And who trapped him? Whose fault is that? Right. Yeah. Who kicked yeah. that off? And, and, and again, it's not just like, oh, I just made an innocent suggestion. I didn't know that he was going to go. No, you didn't make an innocent suggestion. Yeah. You you activated the oath of Thanor. What did you think right. was going to happen? Right. Like, right. you know, yeah. So, Kinslaying. Yeah. <laughs> that is the highway to Kinslaying. And you went down the highway to the Kinslaying. That's what happens so, when yep. you call the feds. Exactly. That's yeah. what happens. So, 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 yeah, like, uh, I, you know, not okay, sorry. Okay, so the, the only reason <laughs> that she's being apologetic here is yeah. that she's a bit sheepish that she confronted the king and just went off. Right. She it knows was she was out of line. Yeah. She knows yeah. she was rude and out yeah. of line. 
So she knows that she has to apologize for her behavior, even if she doesn't really take back what she said. So Mm -hmm. we can walk back her apology a little bit and just be that she can apologize for her, you know, inconsiderate. I was hasty in my... Yeah. Right. Right. I spoke hastily. I shouldn't have yelled at you in front of everybody. I should have... Right. That's what she's really in private, and then you. But I want to. I want (laughs) to clarify something: is that we're seeing the we're seeing the crumbling of the cult of personality around Fingal, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's like it's it's not just here; like throughout, yeah, the past couple of seasons, even. Um, I I think as as soon as humans show up on the scene we're starting to see that start to fall apart mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe even as early as the the dagaraglareb when the because don't don't he doesn't you, make it yeah yeah they get there late with coffee right like that's mm-hmm. how we played that essentially yeah, right yeah. and so as soon as that happens the confidence of that's when his people start hiding stuff from him essentially right. And start kind of like molly cobbling him a little bit. <laughs> yeah. So, no, I mean, I do think this is part of the character arc for Thingle to have him be publicly confronted and called yes. out in this way. But, yeah, I think Galadriel knows she's just was out of turn. Yeah. She's a guest in his yeah, kingdom. You're not supposed to do that. So yeah. I, I think she needs to be sheepish and apologetic about her behavior. Especially we, since he comes to her. Yeah, that's like as soon as she she sees him coming, he's like, I better apologize. But I agree that we don't necessarily have to have her take back what she says. Yeah. Um, And all she has to admit is that Finrod always knew he was going to die. Yes. And therefore, this was something that he saw coming long before you said anything like. And all of this stuff was going to happen. Yeah, like she has to recognize that there's fate involved here. Yeah. Um, so it doesn't let him off the hook. It's just that's her processing it a little better instead of in the moment where she was really mad about it. Now she's had a chance to realize, oh, right, this is probably fate at work. I it can was see not. a way in which she could kind of apologize while also um, doubling Still accusing down. accusing him. Yeah. essentially right and uh, she's clever enough to do that yeah yeah because of course w- one of the one of the things that she could quite truthfully say is yeah i do understand again finrod was going to die this was destined to happen the only thing really that your actions did was involve you and your realm in the mess and fate and downfall that finrod was already entangled in so yeah. it's so true good that luck you with that yeah, you've just screwed your own self. Um, yeah. And so I shouldn't be mad at you about that. You know, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, that's really good because part of the whole thing here is that we're going to end this season on a happy note for Baron and Luthien. Right. But this is the end of Doriath. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, Doriath is not going to survive This much is the longer. last happy moment <laughs> for well, Doriath, Th- yeah. Thingle himself is going to be dead in, like, 25 years. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So... Yeah. Because of the Silmaril, yeah. it, it's his own doom hasn't quite caught up to him yet. Yes, but he's already sealed his fate. Yeah, he already yeah. signed the check on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. like yeah. it just hasn't got here yet. And yeah. I mean, by Elven terms, the guys lived thousands and thousands of years. 
25 yeah. years is not much yeah, he's longer. He's due to die like, in like 25 minutes. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Like, yeah. so she's, yeah. she, so she can say the something ominous about the future and Silmarils right. and oaths. And I think that's <laughs> right. Fine. Yeah. Yeah. No, there's, I guess I actually, yeah, you're right. There's no point. I, there's, no, there's no point in holding a grudge because you're totally hosed now. Uh, and uh, I expect to outlive you by, by millennia at this point. So, um, yeah, no, I so agree. Good luck with um, that. Good luck with that. Good luck with that. Yeah. No, because I mean, and it's one of the things that I really like about this whole thing is that there's a way in which this um, the confrontation with Galadriel serves as a like, um, emotionally amped up uh, recollection of and commentary on Melian's remark to Thingol at the end of that scene, right? You know, the O King you have devised cunning counsel speech. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, she is saying mildly and gently, right? Well, great. Now we're all hosed thanks to that, right? Um, yes. And um, so, but again, it's brief, it's quiet, it's private, um, and to to kind of bring that back in again and make it because again, I think it's it's another way that certainly helps, um, that certainly helps the viewer to appreciate Thingol's own change of mind, right? Mm-hmm. Um, why does the you know wicked king father now suddenly? decide oh actually it's fine i don't mind the interloper human scumbag who wants to marry my daughter um if if he so i mean especially i mean it's especially interesting in the context that oh there's all the focus on the other end of like oh but there's you know my Mm. oath to thingle my oath to thingle you know have i fulfilled my oath to thingle and on the other hand, to show on the other side, Thingol being like, actually, that oath was such a bad call. Like, yeah. I really screwed that up. Yeah. Um, and this makes him a character. Yeah. 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 No, I like that. I like that. So, so no, I thought um, I was um, – I was <laughs> – I was surprised, but I quite enjoyed the uh, uh, the the Goadriel mm-hmm. intervention, and I really like the work that it's doing there in that yeah. way. Cool. All right. Well. Um, Next time, so we're we're gonna have a little bit of an interlude. So we're gonna we're gonna meet again in two weeks. We're not gonna can, we're gonna have a little bit of, a, of an interlude before we discuss the next uh, episodes because the next two episodes are big ones. We've got the uh, we've got the 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 death of Baron and Luthien, and then we have the um, afterlife of Baron and Luthien um, in, uh, in in the next. Uh, two episodes. So big stuff going on. Um, and the hope is to have scripts written for those. I know um, we'll see what happens. Um, it all will be great one way or the other, but, um, uh, but in any case, we're going to have a little bit of an interlude next time. We're going to talk about the frame. So we've been kind of pushing off mm. the frame and actually I will admit when the frame has been included in the outlines and the scripts, I've been deliberately not reading them because I don't want to like get distracted. I knew mm. we were going to wait to talk about the frame. So I've been waiting to like even read the frame stuff uh, until, cause I, I knew I'd want to talk so about it. So should we be going through and anytime that the frame is in a script, pulling that out and then like, creating like a single document might be handy to have it in one place that might yes i i understand that i know that's my assignment for next time (laughs) that might be fun i can go back and find it all i know where it is no 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 i um, i'll 
I'll yeah. give you a single document. Don't worry. It might be. It might be. That might be easy. Uh, but in any case, we're going to talk about the frame. So we'll talk about the whole shape of the frame story uh, from uh, from beginning to end. And of course, the frame story. This is the one frame story we decided like way back at the very beginning that the yes. frame story of this would be Estelle being told his true identity and Aragorn falling in love with her, with uh, Arwen. Um, so we're. It's be been looking. harder to manage its connection than you would think. The parallel seems so obvious at first. And I mean, again, it was a complete no-brainer when we said, I mean, like, it was like one of the first things we said when we were thinking of the concept of the framework, well, obviously the frame of the Baron of Luthien story will be, you know, uh, 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 Tenuviel, Tenuviel, so no problem. But, um, uh, yeah, yeah, no, so that's, that. I'm, it's going to be fascinating to talk about. So that will be the sub- subject of our discussion. April 27th at 10 p.m. Um, and uh, and don't forget about the casting nominations. Last chance to nominate um, actors for the roles from this season. Uh, the nominations will close right before the next episode and we'll open up voting uh, at that point. So, all right. Very good. Thank you, guys. This was a lot of fun. This is, a, as I say, this is a delightful episode in so many ways this episode as i say it's like it's like a crystallization of what is fun about film film so i uh, really really enjoyed that thank you thanks to both of you and the script team and, and yeah and everybody team. else absolutely. who was there <laughs> everybody else who was there yeah absolutely um excellent and i will say as always thanks for listening and godspeed